Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another exciting episode of the Pop Bonsai Podcast. I am Travis Ratz, and with me is Jay Castro. Jay, I feel like we should. I, I was as I was doing the intro. I'm like, why aren't we doing an Abbott and Costello based intro oh, here? Yeah. <laughs> hey Abbott, <laughs> hey Castro. Anyways, like I said, we are the Pop Bonsai Podcast, and here in the Pop Bonsai Podcast, every episode, we take a big idea, uh, a big theme, and what we do is we do all the heavy lifting for you. We go in and we pick out pieces of pop culture, films, books, comics, uh, albums, uh, whatever, you name it. If it's pop, it's on the podcast, and we curate them together and we try to find through lines and so today on the podcast our menu consists of a thanksgiving menu actually because that is our big theme it's kind of dysfunctional families and since <laughs> thanksgiving's around the, the corner family time family dysfunction family meals that is what's on the menu today for our podcast and to discuss those we are going to be looking at the 1995 Jodie Foster-directed film Home for the Holidays, starring Holly Hunter and Robert Downey Jr., along with a just stellar ensemble cast. Um, everyone who who pops into the screen, except for that boyfriend. I didn't like him. Uh, except for Wait, Claire, which, which, Claire Danes' okay, boyfriend. We'll yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't like yeah, that yeah. asshole. Um, yeah. And then we are going to be talking about Bruce Springsteen's album, Nebraska. That's from 1982. We're going to be talking about that album in its entirety. And then Jay threw in uh, a little Abbott and Costello, a little radio play, or a little radio bit play, comedy bit play, called Thanksgiving Day. And that is from 1943. Ooh, we're jumping around here decades today, Jay. I know. It's, it's, a, big, it's a big step for the Wayback Machine. Yeah, we're talking about uh, uh, Thanksgiving. We're still, oh, at the time of this, oh, actually, this comes out today. We are about oh, less than a week out from Thanksgiving. How's your Thanksgiving plans? You do Thanksgiving? I know you're Halloween head. We've established this. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I don't really have a, a big family at all um, anymore. Um, my wife does, though, so we usually celebrate it with her we're going to go up to up to northern arizona this year and there's gonna be like a big you know big to do out there jay you sound really uh, enthusiastic about this oh, sound- no, no. <laughs> that's, that's about as enthusiastic as i get what's your you wife gonna, what's your wife gonna say when she listens to this podcast and she <laughs> hears you talking about uh home for the holidays with more enthusiasm than actually being home <laughs> For your actual holiday, you're like you no, love you does. like J- Jodie Foster more than me. <laughs> if it's not if it's not punk Star Wars or comics, you know she doesn't expect <laughs> she, much. Oh, no, she's fourth. Me. She's fourth on that list, huh? <laughs> so no, I, it's you know I, for some reason. I mean, I know it's going to be great. I just you know I'm not looking forward to driving three hours in the holiday traffic, and then I think about oh we're going to stay in a motel if it's totally uncomfortable and flea bitten. What you know I just I think about all these negative things all like up front. And then as the, as the actual events unfold themselves, um, then I'm like, Oh, it's not as horrible as I, you know, it yeah, thought I don't, of know, I, I don't know about that. Jay holiday traffic, staying in a motel sounds pretty fucking depressing. <laughs> <laughs> it's never as bad as I, it, it, I created in my For mind. For what? Though. For like, what do you get out of this? Is it, is it, is it good food? 
Does that family side of the family Probably. cook some good food? Probably. Um, again, I'm kidding. I need I'm not, not a ring sure. endorsement. I'm not. I can't. I can't. I can't say for a hundred percent a surety that they do because I've never had this, but I'm pretty sure it's not going to be horrible. Like I would, like if I knew that, okay, I got to drive. It's like three hours away. It'll probably take five with this traffic. I'll probably stay in a motel. Uh, but if I knew like there was some bomb ass brisket waiting there, like that, I can, I, this is the only time of the year that I can get this brisket. That would make it a little bit better. And if I could bring some of that brisket home back with me, <laughs> You know, like it's, it might make it a little bit worthwhile. Leftover brisket's the best. I don't even know people eat eat on Thanksgiving. I'm not a Thanksgiving. Yeah. I'm not a Thanksgiving person, Jay. Oh, really? I, I cannot listen. I know that I I really uh uh sold Halloween, huge Halloween fan, and that's the most excited you're going to see me get about a holiday, Jay. Uh, Thanksgiving might be one of my least favorite holidays. I didn't like it. I don't like. I don't like. The, like I liked everything that came with Halloween. Listen back to that episode. I go through a long list. I'm the opposite for Thanksgiving. Most of the stuff I don't like. I don't like football. I know that's always on, no, yeah, on, no, on TV, either. right? Uh, I don't like Thanksgiving foods. I, oh. I, I mean, it's not like I hate them, but my mom was not a good cook. And so when we did have Thanksgiving at home, it was, ugh. it was just pretty, like, pretty like, like a regular <laughs> Thursday night dinner. It was like, hamburger helper thanksgiving side mix and a turkey that was kind of dry and you're like can we just have like, tacos uh um, hey, what else what else you need you got your turkey you got your potatoes <laughs> you got your vegetables you got your dessert hey, this is how is we there? eat this is how we eat in america nice callback nice callback i would maybe prefer a hungry man thanksgiving dinner to, to some of the the stuff that i've had to choke down on thanksgiving <laughs> So not a big fan of football, not a big fan of food. I do like the booze aspect aspect of Thanksgiving. When you're 21, it's just like you could start drinking with your family at like 10 a.m. That's kind of good. And like you, Jay, I, I, you know, I didn't grow up in the same country as my extended family. So we never had like big thing, you know, and I, I watching this movie this week home for the holidays it's about family you know dysfunction and drama i would love that that would make thanksgiving my favorite holiday if i could walk into family dysfunction once a year oh (laughs) i would eat it up that that shit gets me going man uh, I watched this movie. I'm like, yes, more, more. I'm like Robert Downey Jr.'s movie when shit's popping off and his eyes are like, uh, I think we need to hear about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's never really, I don't know. I mean, I. it's kind of like just something I've we've always done. I mean, yeah, growing up, we never had like a big family thing. And, but my grandmother was a really good cook and, and my wife's a really good cook. So I do like the food, but yeah, I... I I hate football too, yeah. I, you know. Uh, so whenever sometimes what are your, my cousins what are your... would come over and turn that on, and I just immediately fall asleep. Oh yeah, yeah. You're just like, <laughs> what is football? Like I always forget that football is a Thanksgiving thing too. Until someone turns it yeah. on, and I'm like, oh yeah. fuck! Can we watch Conan or something? <laughs> like <laughs> I was like watching the the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade instead. Yeah, even to me that seems just like. Uh, maybe as a Born. kid that would be cool, but it was on a different time zone, so it wasn't. Yeah, like Woody the Woodpecker at one a.m. in the morning, the day after, just doesn't <laughs> do it for me. You know, 
I always think about that Seinfeld episode where the Woody Woodpecker float gets uh, caught on something and, and goes down. You ever watch oh, yeah, yeah. Seinfeld? They're like watching of the course, parade. Yeah. They're like, Woody's down. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm not. And then, you know, since I've been over here, uh, like it just it kind of sucks because I don't even get that. Like I just I just Thanksgiving is kind of a bummer because you know, you don't want to think about family and it's not a big holiday, but still it's like every you know, you 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 go out and everyone's talking about their Thanksgiving plans and you're like, "Well, thanks fuckers." You know, like I'm just waiting for someone to be like, "Do you have any plans?" I'd be like, "No, I don't." Invite me over to your house. That's all right, dude. Asshole. All right. You know, you know, I, I I well, so I listen to 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 Josh always tell you reasons why you should move back to the states and i'm gonna i'm gonna add that to Thanks, to the, the thanksgiving. arsenal yeah 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 thanksgiving oh, food open invite right I'm, here i'm man. taking i'm taking thanksgiving food bids who can who can i'm like what do you got i'm looking for a brisket anyone got a brisket i'll come back i'll fly back for a brisket i'll move back uh yeah so uh that's such a, i wish i had like a cool thanksgiving story my parents were teachers and so most of our Thanksgiving, we would go to teacher potluck Thanksgivings. So I would spend most of my adolescent Thanksgivings in a room, oftentimes with teachers that I had. Oh, And so wow. you had to be like, uh, oh, um, hey, Miss Finley. Oh, yeah, nope, yeah, I'm working on that homework, Miss Finley. No, I haven't <laughs> read that chapter, Mr. Johnson. Oh, what do you, and then they get drunk, and then they're like, yeah, and then... You know, he tried out for soccer, but I just don't think... And you're like, oh, man, you, I'm right here in the room. Like, it's not... <laughs> like, you become the center of conversation to fill in the hours. And you're sitting there like, oh, this is this is not right. You shouldn't be... Able, I, there should be, uh, like, a pause on all... Con- I shouldn't be your student at this point. I'm here with my right. family. Yeah. I didn't know that was such a thing as a teacher thanksgiving potlucks oh my god yeah because everyone no one here has extended family out you know growing up in japan so teachers would just get together and and everyone would bring something and it was and then you see them in school and you're just like what do we do we hug now like what do you after you've seen them drunk yeah if you've seen them drunk and and you've eaten their green bean casserole like you choke that down and they ask (laughs) you about it for the next couple weeks yeah, that was good green bean casserole, huh, Travis? I'm like, yeah, Mr. Price, that was good green bean casserole. So, oh wow, yeah, that that's a new level of, of Thanksgiving Day horror, right there. Yeah, yeah, but I like I said, I'm all about the drama. I would love to have family members. I would love to have a drunk uncle. Uh, I had drunk uncles. I just never get to see them on Thanksgiving. Uh, or. I had like alcoholic uncles. Damn it! I missed out on all the the family drama. Um, uh, so yeah, I wish I, I wish I had that. But I got to live vicariously through our our first piece of pop culture, we're gonna, which we're going to talk about, which I had never even heard about this movie. I thought I had because wow. when you said "Home for the Holidays," it's such a generic name. And you're oh, like, it's got the Bing Crosby in yeah, it. Yeah, uh, you, you yeah. said "Home for the Holidays," and you said like, <laughs> I think it's like mid '90s, and I go, that sounds like. Every year in the mid '90s, there was a movie called Home for the Holidays. It sounds kind <laughs> of like a Jonathan Taylor Thomas joint or something like that, <laughs> or a, uh, a Tim Allen joint. And I'm like, is this kind of like, like fa- good-hearted family fair? Is Tim Allen in this fucking thing? 
Is he, is this the one where he turns into Santa? Yeah, I'm like, I feel like that's, I felt like that's where I was going to get on this, and then I looked up the cast, and I was like, okay, all right, let's see what's happening here. Uh, and so, tell me, where, uh, what, what, since you have more experience with this, and this isn't your first viewing, where did this, where did this film come from, Jay? Um, honestly, I think. My my wife, who uh, was my girlfriend at the time when when this came out, we were just I think bored around the holidays, and we're like, oh, home for the holidays, you know, it's a Thanksgiving movie. Why don't we just go see this? And pa- it was just- can I pause it right there? First of all, yeah, yeah. bad title for several reasons. One, home for the holidays. Home for the holiday. Is what yeah. I say. Single yeah. as it. They talk about Christmas, but if I don't see it, get that out of the title. <laughs> Continue. You watch that ass. You, you were bored and you watched it with your ex girlfriend, now your wife. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, we were just kind of like, that was not the feel good, you know, cinematic romp we were hoping for. Yeah, what did we you just know, watch? Actually... August Osage County? What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, uh, a little bit disturbing. It was, you know, even, I mean, back then it was a little bit, uh, dare I say, controversial, you know, yeah. uh, it was just kind of dark, but it was still funny. And the thing that we liked about it, well, actually I didn't like it that I didn't think about it then, but what I like about it now is that it shows um, adults not having all the answers you know, and that that reminds me of another in just in that aspect of another movie you and I were talking about <laughs> one uh, one bless you Wonder Boys, mm. where why it's funny like when you're young you think when you grow up you're just gonna have all the answers everything's gonna be together your life is gonna be focused and you're gonna be on that track to mm-hmm. you know happy retirement and but that's you know it's not necessarily true you know here I am in, in my mid forties. And I still have that the same insecurities and and all the things that come with when I was like twenty. You know, nothing's yeah. changed. You yeah, know, I'm still waiting for that to, to just yeah. you know happen. But so that's another reason why I kind of like this movie. It's why it's you know been in, why it's endeared to me. You know? Yeah, there is this. It's, it's a quote from another movie. I can't think of it right now. It's kind of I don't even know if the movie was good, but I remember this quote. It was to paraphrase it. It was no one tells you how to grow up. You just keep getting older. You know, um, and I love. I always love that idea. It's like yeah, you always think that oh, like at some point someone's gonna unlock the door and you're gonna be like you're an adult now. You can look behind this curtain. You're like oh. Oh, I get it, but that never happens, and you always feel like you're just pretending at being an adult, you know. Uh, and you do see right. that in this movie. You also see in this movie, you see people how people when they get around their family, and also when they get back into in this particular case their childhood home, they revert back to being their them their old selves uh, with those. And, yeah. and and I I noticed this. Um, my 10 year high school reunion I went to when I was 28 and I hadn't seen these, you know, people obviously in 10 years and, you know, I changed and I, I was a different person and I communicated differently with people, 
But we went mm-hmm. to Vegas, and that weekend there was about 12 of us, and I immediately went back into my old routines. Like, I immediately <laughs> became, like, like an asexual 13-year-old that just, wanted to make, <laughs> that just wanted to make people laugh, that was, you know, uh, doing all this these things. I'm like, holy smokes. And I saw it with my other friends that were there that I'm like, oh, shit, you just got – what happened? You just got really sleazy. Like you're like, oh yeah, I, re- I resorted. You resorted back into like 14 year old this person, and you're like, yeah, I'm a real horn dog now. I go, I know, because you're like 14 again. So. Yeah, yeah, uh, but see, I I honestly think a strand of that is good for people to have. You know, I think you should keep youth, your, some youthful vigor in there somewhere, <clears throat> somewhere. Otherwise, you become, you know, like a librarian or something, you know? <laughs> oh, <laughs> shots fired at librarians, Jay. <laughs> oh, we, oh, oh, we, Sorry, we I was going to say, you. I think we <laughs> know a librarian. Um, we really, uh, we have a, a, a mutual friend um, that is uh, a podcast host who is a librarian, but the exact opposite of what you think a librarian would be. He, he really needs to rebrand what a librarian is. But let's talk. Yeah. Let's get into this movie. This movie is directed by Jodie Foster. I can't. I don't know if it's her big film directorial <clears throat> debut. Um, second, second. She did uh, the one with a little kid. Um, I can't remember what it's called now. But yeah, this is her second. Way to narrow that down, Jay. <laughs> little, little man Tate. Little man. Oh, Tate. okay. Oh, wow. Look at that. If I just poke you a little bit, you're like, a, <laughs> you're like a little, little. I rise up you, to the challenge. You, I was gonna say you're a little Pillsbury pop boy. If you need a little pop culture, you just boo. <laughs> I believe that was little man Tate. <laughs> I probably just totally pull that out of my ass. It's probably not even real, but I'm pretty sure it is. Um. So yeah, and it, it follows our 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 main lead in this is uh, Holly Hunter, and it's a very simple plot. Holly Hunter, you know, as she loses her job, right? She's just let go of yep. her job. There's some stuff going yep. on with her boss. Her teenage daughter is is at the age where she's distancing herself from her mother and becoming her own woman. So she's not going to thanks back home for Thanksgiving with her mother. Holly Hunter flies back home. We meet her brother. We meet her sister. We meet her aunt. We meet her parents. We meet a couple of, of people from her hometown that she went to high school with. Uh, and uh, much family dysfunction ensues. Heart heartwarming moments are woven in, and that is the story. You've seen this story before in many different films, like Family Stone and all these things. Yeah. Uh, August Osage County. However, um, this you know this is done. Re- I think this is done really well, uh, especially the second act in this film when this really gets going. Um, that for me. So I when I put this on, it wasn't until. Uh, the brother arrives, Robert Downey Jr., who really uh-huh. kind of, to me, sets this film in motion because he's kind of this force of chaos that really <laughs> instigates, uh, sets on fire a lot of the the the, the drama that makes it f- literally. La- I laughed out loud like four or five times. You know, like that's not very much. Like that's a lot for me to laugh out loud when I'm watching a movie by myself. I just don't often do that. Uh, and I was dead sober yeah. when I watched this too, so it was like <laughs> it was a genuine sober laugh where I was just like, "That's that's funny," um, and awkward, and and all that stuff. the The first 
20 minutes up until that point, I was like, I don't, I'm like, I'm waiting for like, what's different? What's different about this movie than just a go back home? And then when Downey shows up and just ruffles everyone, all these great character actors into their characters, it becomes just like actors at their finest doing their craft and working together really well they felt like a family they felt like they had a history there it didn't just feel like a bunch of superstars in a holiday movie together it felt like these people had lived with each other for a while yeah yeah i agree yet yeah robert downey jr in this movie is definitely the, the the comedic factor um without it 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 would be so dark um, without that character, I mean, it, it would just be pretty depressing. And so, yeah, and, and I like what you said. He was kind of like the uh, comedic, like, centrifuge. You know, he shows up and he, he just, like, whips everybody into into their into their characters. Right. You know, I like how you, I like how you put that. Um, but, yeah, yeah. It, like even, like, it, uh, it, Steve, it Steve Gutenberg, you know, who is in this movie, uh, even like he, he kind of acknowledges that role when he's sitting in the car and then his, his wife, because oh, yeah. he's the brother-in-law, is like, uh, you didn't tell me, uh, what's his name? Uh, Tommy. You didn't tell me Tommy, Robert Downey Jr.'s character, was going to be here. And she's like, well, I mean, I, I didn't think it was a big deal. He goes, hold on. I just, I need a moment to process this. <laughs> and then Tommy immediately like hits the car and starts making these weird monster things. And you're just like, Steve Gutenberg probably would have been a pleasant you know, just average guy. But right there, you see Tommy bring out the worst in this character who probably would have just been pretty even keel in a quiet dinner, right? Um, right. He yeah. stirs Polarized, up his sister. Yeah, yeah. And so it's just like, if Tommy wasn't there, one, the drama in this movie wouldn't have existed to the level where it's, you're like, oh, so absurd. Um and this is full-blown heroin using... He's on the record as saying he was using heroin during oh, the yeah. filming of this movie. Um, he even talks about... This was uh, on a David Letterman interview. Uh, David, Letterman, David Letterman asked him, you know, <clears throat> if someone was watching your movies, would they be able to tell when you're fucked up? And he goes, mm, maybe home for the holidays. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you can't really. I can't tell, I, yeah. but but he he has a lot of energy, and he's got. But I mean, heroin doesn't really do that. Yeah, it's, in fact, it's complete opposite. But I mean, he's I, got I like that, he like pretty. heroin eyes and hair, and like like that kind you're, of like you know what? I'm a heroin addict. Yeah, a pale, like the and then eyes. the lips are are like all like still like yeah yeah. Hmm. But no, other than that, I mean, he. I mean, I thought he did really, really good. Um, so I don't know if you mentioned this or not, but this was um, it was adapted from a short story <clears throat> by a guy named uh, W.D. Richter. And um, W.D. Richter, uh, also, I don't know if you've ever seen Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Yeah. Um, he directed that. Yep. It's one of those and, movies that you're like, everyone keeps talking about this. It must be great. And you watch it and you're like, holy shit, this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, he also um, 
this is a big yeah. trouble little china isn't it yeah yeah this yeah. is the connection he okay so uh, i don't know if you know this but big trouble little china was, was originally, originally a buckle rubanzai script i was, was just a, saying that fact earlier this week yeah supposedly it was, well it was also a western they said oh and um they wanted john carpenter to do that and john carpenter's like no i'm not going to do this as a western if you if you want to do this it needs to be set in modern times and so they this wd richter adapted that script and set it into like modern times so that's what he did huh. but he's 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 credited as co-writer like uh, of, of big tremolo china so oh w, no, yeah uh, i'm clicking on his name right here to see what else he's done yeah uh chris radent and wd richter are the two creditors on this uh I don't know if W.D. Richter was the one who wrote the short story for this, though. I think that was the other. No. Writer. Oh, yeah. He was the adapted. To- yeah. 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 Um, gosh. Oh, wow. He's done this. The, the guy who adapted it is like done Slither and yeah. Um, uh, Dracula. Invasion of the Body Snatchers, 1978 screenplay. Yeah. He's got some heavy hitters. Not a huge list of credits, but. The ones he's done are some pretty big ones. Pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, in the, I think one of the reasons why this movie um, seemed a little bit more authentic than like just funny little, like you mentioned, Family Stone, like kind of like cookie cutter characters, you know, Um, they, uh, Jodie Foster actually like really encouraged uh, uh, improv, a lot of improv, and she she wanted the 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 actors' input on the character and how they felt. You know, they would say things or how they would react, and so I think that had a lot to do with that. Um, you know, the 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 actors actually had a lot to, a lot of input in shaping these characters. And uh, I think that that made a huge deal. And because if you read the, the short story that this was adopted from, uh, it's it's pretty short. Ha ha ha. And it there's like the only thing that's in it is is the main character, like Holly Hunter's character and the parents pretty much. Mm. And that's and they mentioned two brothers and how she hates coming home for the holidays and blah, blah, blah. But other than that. Everything else is a ridge. Mm. Is, is new. Yeah, you could definitely new. tell it's uh, an uh, an actor director uh, and not a director. There's nothing. There's nothing fancy about the camera work or cinematography in this movie whatsoever. Right. It's quite stiff, and it's just kind of not stiff. And like, let's just plant the camera. I mean, the camera moves, and the, especially during the most probably climactic scene. I think the, the the best scene for me and maybe for a lot of people is the actual sitting down for the Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, there is this tremendous amount of tension that was getting up there. And they do this thing where they have two turkeys on the table. One's by Steve Gutenberg, the other's by the dad and Robert Downey Jr. And they're arguing, it's kind of a squabble in between about carving this turkey. So they're, everyone's kind of carving these turkeys. And the, you know, the arguments morph from one argument into another argument. They kind of seamlessly flow into uh, it because everyone's trying to redirect their drama onto someone else. And 
as it's going, you see, you know, Downey, now he's got his turn at the turkey, and he's brandishing the, the carving thing, and then Gutenberg's over there. And so on both ends of these table, there are these knives. And that scene was building up for me, because I'd never seen this movie before. So I'm <laughs> sitting there, I'm like, shit, someone's going to, like, that's that's going to be the climax of the scene, is someone's going to lose a finger. And I'm so glad they didn't, but just, you know, he's sharpening the knife, and he's getting into that turkey and he can't you know he's just like i can't get the damn leg off uh, and meanwhile it's the the arguments crescendoing and i'm like oh shit that knife's going through someone and i'm so glad like in other movies they would they'd be like oh someone get into the hospital and then you'd have the hospital scene where they get together and they're like you know when you were a kid i took you to the hospital and you got your tonsils out it's when you've, I've never seen you be more vulnerable. That's what I like. I miss that. I miss when you were vulnerable. Like that scene, you know? But in the, in this, it's it's just it's just to underline that, that, that tension. And because there's so much comedy on top of that too, you're sitting there, you're laughing, but the back of your mind is, is like, oh shit, this is, this is building towards like a, something. Um, and they never give you that full release with like a big, physical bit at the end because i think uh you know uh downey is so physical in this and he's coming off uh-huh. i think he's coming off of chaplin um after this you know where he, he played chaplin and was so physical in that role and we also have another chaplin in this geraldine chaplin who starred in chaplin yeah. with uh, robert Downey jr who has a tremendous monologue at that dinner i mean uh, you, you, there are some great monologues in this movie where you look at yeah. you, you look at the script you're like oh, I don't want to do a holiday movie and then you get to see some of the monologues that you get in this movie the um who plays the dad um uh Austin Pendleton no um no no um Charles, oh, Charles Charles Dunning Charles Charles Dunning plays it. You know, he has that whole monologue at the end about the airport scene and about how that's when he knew that his daughter was fearless and he wished he had it on videotape and these little tiny moments in life. That's a great monologue. Geraldine's uh Chaplin's monologue at dinner. Can you think of any other standout monologues that you really liked? Oh yeah, um Dylan McDermott's par par birdie birdie par par son. Uh, okay, we're going to get to I'm going to put McDermott on ice for a second. I'm going to put McDermott um, on ice for a second. Um, and I'm sure there was, uh, well, there was that whole one about the guy that that came in fixing the furnace. <clears throat> yeah. He about his oh, he's a great actor dying. too. Great character actor. He's, he's yeah. like, is done. Oh, uh, David uh, Strathern. Uh, uh-huh. um, if you saw him, you'll be like, oh yeah, he's been in a dozen things. Uh, more than that, but yeah. Well, even Anne Bancroft has the one about with the Dear Abby. Yeah, when she's sitting there reading. Yeah, I think yeah. they all pretty oh, much have. Yeah. A everyone has. Everyone has a great monologue. How about um the <clears throat> the sister and her? Oh God, very unlikable character. I hate, can't stand that bitch. But <laughs> when she says, "If I met you on the street," just she says oh, this to yeah. her sister, and this this is how her and her sister leave this holiday. The last thing she says to her sister is in this monologue where she basically says, if I were to meet you on the street and you were to give me your number, I would throw it away. And then Holly yeah. Hunter says, you don't have to like me. We're family. Uh, and that, I'm like, to say that to your family, knowing you get to see them in a couple of weeks for Christmas, <laughs> is such a fucking bummer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was such a huge knife twist. Yeah. You know, it... it if I was, if I, you know, I was coaching 
college actors, I'd be like, okay, like, oh, you always get like, what, what should I, do? what monologue should I audition with for my dramatic monologue? I'm like, mm, any of the monologues from this movie <laughs> uh, would work. All right, let's get to McDermott. Okay, yeah. Before the podcast started, I said, I said, I really like this movie, but I got one issue, and that issue uh-huh. is McDermott. Um, <laughs> When he first came into the movie, I liked him. I thought, you know, I'm like, I'm like, you know, I, I got nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with McDermott. It's just his character in this movie and his and what is he doing in this movie? I feel like he does not serving much of a purpose. And at first, you get him, and he's like the outsider. He's the observer, so we get to see the calm in the storm. Uh, so it gives us something to measure the disturbance by. Um, but. By the third act, he's taking this weird kind of horn dog turn where it's just like about <laughs> pussy for him. Like he's, you know, he and uh, Tommy, the brother, seem to have this whole thing pl- plotted out where, yeah. you know, he's sh- he's shown McDermott photos of his sister, presumably naked. Uh, <laughs> since McDermott got there, he's been putting on this charm, which now once you find that out, kind of feels fake and it feels cheated. You're like... No, he's he's been putting on this thing. He's been planning this. And so he's he's been sidling up to her. At one point, he kind of saves her face when she meets her old friend from high school. And he comes in there, and you're like, oh, that's a really endearing aspect of that character. And later on, you're like, ah, oh, no, nah, this dude's just trying to get laid. Uh, and Pretty much. And I will tell you, this is disgusting. When they are, oh, last like 20 minutes of the movie, Holly Hunter and Dylan McDermott are on the couch and they are <laughs> spindled around each other, stuffing leftover Thanksgiving turkey sandwiches and foods and milk into their mouth. And they're making out while they're still chewing. And you could hear the sounds and they're intertwined and they're like still chewing. And like, you got something in your mouth. And they're putting their fingers in each other's yeah, mouths. Dude. That was so gross. I didn't understand that part at all. I'm like, is this how like normal couples behave? Because I've never seen this before. Again, it reminded me of Seinfeld where George gets hooked on food and sex where he's eating like hot pastrami sandwiches in bed. <laughs> I to me that does not set it does not seem sexy. It does not seem like a fun shoot to do where you have to make I mean it's not like they're eating even like desserts. It's not like, oh, we're eating like, you know cream and cherries it's like no we're eating salty and heavy foods and making it out and stuffing and turkey is interchanging and i'm picking your teeth with my fingers and yeah, yeah it's like it's like watching like chimpanzees yeah you know yeah yeah like pick fleas off each other or whatever it is yeah. <laughs> but you know one of the things that <clears throat> i kind of didn't i don't know you're probably you know, you're obviously smarter than I am, but like the first time I saw this movie, I, it took me like a couple of, of viewings to, to know that, to, to realize that. So Holly Hunter thought Tommy, who her brother, who's mm-hmm. gay and Dylan McDermott were together. Yeah. And so she was giving him like a, she Cold was shoulder, treating yeah. him badly. Yeah. Because she really liked Tommy's other boyfriend, Jack. Yeah. And she, she she was ticked that he was there. But then she realizes that the only reason Jack's not there and he is is because him and Jack got married and he didn't want to bring this whole thing in, in front of his sister. And, you know, but 
then she realized, oh, he's not with my brother and he's actually like heterosexual and single and, you know, and that's, that's when the, you know, what, what you were saying, that's where the, the, the pussy hound comes out. Yeah. Yeah. And all of a sudden he's like, oh yeah, you thought I was, no, I'm just trying to fuck you girl. Like, yeah, yeah. oh shit. Like, are we good now? Can I guess, he even says, can I get some time? Can I get some, can I get the time of day from you? Like, can you give yeah. me the time of day? Um, and he's being super charming and it just feels kind of like, I'm like, oh, like, but I guess that makes him, honestly, it makes him more realistic. Um, you know, you and like, it might, they're not in college, but it's kind of like Tommy and his college buddy are like, oh, your sister's hot. All right, cool, man. Like, it's cool. Like, uh, you, like you hooked me up with that weed last week. So if you want to come home for Thanksgiving with me, I bet you can fuck her. <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to like this the 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 hollywood version where it's just like oh this is the one nice guy in the world who's genuinely altruistic and charming and kind and uh handsome and single at the, at his age and you're like oh this character it makes you i guess that does kind of make it a little bit better because i'm like all right why is this guy single and why is he so desperate for a date that he's traveling to somebody's dysfunctional thanksgiving to maybe get a chance to hook up with this girl that and like you're like oh he's a sex addict (laughs) obviously (laughs) he likes a good chase he keeps talking about this fantasy that he has and he meets her on the airplane which is the stupidest ending to have him go on that airplane um and i do like the lamp scene though where is where he brings the aunt's lamp into the car and he's like she gave it to me and no you can't have it (laughs) keeping it but and then he sits he goes let me tell you about this fantasy again i'm like enough dude enough enough with trying to you're so rapey dude he's sitting outside like her childhood bedroom and she's like i'm not gonna fuck you in my childhood bedroom he's like i'm just standing out here it's like a real it's like a joyce carol oates fucking short story where this guy is like this sexual predator who someone invites home into this girl's house and everything is safe except for this guy is i feel like joyce carol oates could have written this character (laughs) that's hilarious yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, I think that one of the reasons why he, that character exists is to maybe give Holly Hunter's character uh, a possible bright future. You know, yeah. she's not going back home to the same, you know, dread. Now she doesn't have a job, you know, and, and her kids growing up on her. And what she have left, you mm-hmm. know, so I guess... Dylan McDermott's supposed to represent like, oh, maybe she'll have a future with him. Do you yeah. think her daughter uh, slept with that uh, boyfriend who she, which is again, starting off like awkward where she's like, I know some people have this relationship with their kids, but the 16 year old's like, oh yeah, by the way, mom, when I go to so-and-so's house for Thanksgiving, I'm going to sleep with him. I've thought about it. It's a mature decision to make. I'm going to do it. And so her mom like calls and at one point there's like a check-in, like, have you slept with him yet? And meanwhile, this little turd is like pinching her ass and sticking her hands <laughs> up her skirt. And like, he looks like the, the dude, they should have put Brad Renfro who makes an appearance later in the movie. Who's great. Rest in peace. Uh, they should have put him in, in that role. Cause this boyfriend seemed like Claire Danes is this beautiful, like obviously older than 16 or at least a 
carries herself older than a 16 year old in this and then you had this like hey like hey beavis and butthead type boy boy yeah yeah that's exactly what it was oh no she probably did yeah 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 she he stopped did. there was some a couple a couple of stuffings going on at that thanksgiving oh <laughs> yeah no but so <clears throat> i yeah overall i think the whole uh um Okay, so the movie poster for this said um, this Thanksgiving, you know, uh, I don't remember the exact number. It said this Thanksgiving, like 80 million people will get to will get together with their families and then wonder why. On the fourth on the fourth Thursday in November, 84 million American families will gather together and yeah. wonder why. Yep. And <clears throat> I think that pretty much sums up the whole like this movie right yeah, there. Yeah. You know, so are are we as a society better together in, in this way where we we come together with our families, even though some of us may not like it, but we have to because why? They're family. You know, is, is that a real reason, or do you think we'd be better off just going? You know what? I don't want any part of this. I'm an adult. I can do whatever, whatever I want to. I don't have to go back here anymore. I mean, do you think yeah. the sense of family yeah. obligation is an actual asset? Yes. Uh, okay. I see. I, I see. I, yeah. I understand. I'm just. I was just thinking about it. I was like, that's a really good question. That is a really good question. I, I my first response isn't answering the question. I think that that is that is becoming a much more traditional and classic idea. Um, that now it's like you know we have that your family isn't who you're born to it's who you choose you know mm -hmm. um but i remember growing up and i still have that and and it's the idea of like well why do i have to talk to this person on the phone or why do i have to call them up they don't talk to me like because they're family and that was it it's kind of it's kind of like the parents because i said so um yeah and i guess i i think i think i would say that it's in i think for a human psyche, it, it like religion or like other kind of safety nets, um, mental safety nets, it, it can be um, comforting to know that no matter what you do with your life and your choices you make, there is this team of people who might not always like you, but are obligated to not reject you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and if we all yeah. play by those rules... You're always going to have those people in the family that you're like, this is tough. It's tough being in a family with them. It's tough having a uh, an uncle like this or a brother-in-law like this or uh, a cousin like this. Fill in the blank. However, at some point, I might need that support system. Uh, and it's also, you know, doing this once a year or twice a year, it it's kind of a way also to acknowledge that you didn't get here on your own. You might feel very independent now and maybe you don't like the people, mm -hmm. but you know, I look at her parents cause none of the kids really have a healthy relationship with their, with the parents in this movie, but there is a respect for them. And also, you know, at one point when they're, the parents are letting her go to the airport, she's walking down the, the tarmac there and they're like, we made that we made, look at, we made her and they're yeah. proud of that. And that's true. They did make that person 
And, you know, they raised her, uh, put a roof over her head, you know, fed her. They invite her into her home. She's always welcome there, no matter what choices she makes. Um, and so there is, I think there is, it's important to pay respect for your team. Now, you might not always like your team, but that's your home team, man. And, right. you know, you might be off playing for different teams and stuff like that, but you got to check back in and be like, hey, like, we're here. We're doing this. It was a rough game. It was a rough game this Thanksgiving, guys. Uh, but, yeah, we're here. <laughs> we show up. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I, I think uh, along those same lines. And that's one of the things that, that kind of annoyed me about this movie um, was that part where – Tommy was talking to uh, his husband um, in the in, over the phone. Yeah, and he's over there with their friends, and he he goes, "How's my how's my real family doing?" Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, come on, dude. Yeah, really? that was harsh. Yeah, I, I noticed that too. And they're all kind of like yuppies and like uh, yeah. <laughs> like 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 men and women of leisure. You know. Yeah, like, and it kind of oh, sad. It's kind of sad because it kind of undercuts, like, because you like Tommy because he's charming and stuff like that. And you think that, you know, his humor is a defense mechanism that he really loves his family. And then when he says something like that, you're like, oh, is this all just a show? Um, But he must be there or else why would he come? He wouldn't even show up at all if he really didn't like them. I mean, yeah, his sister seems to despise who he is as a gay man. Um, when she's like, that's disgusting, you know, like, and you should, you know, do that. And there's no moments of, of bonding between those two. He, I think he came for Holly, Holly Hunter's character in some ways. There's a great scene where she turns to him, uh, to explain her drama. And then she starts telling the, he starts telling the family exactly what all the shitty things that she's been up to. And (laughs) she's just kind of impressed that he knows. He's like, I check my messages. I might not always get back to you, but I'm curious and I'm here, you know? He's there. And, you know, it's funny that... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I'm here to take nude photos of you, like, randomly throughout <laughs> this movie, which which was also creepy. Um, Tommy! I'm naked! Uh, my sister would beat my ass. And my parents, <laughs> and my parents, even as an adult, would sit me down and, and, and have a talk with me. Be like, you know it's not okay to just barge in on your sister naked and take <laughs> Polaroids of her, and I'd be like, "Yeah, I know." <laughs> I didn't think we would be having to have this talk with you at 36, Travis. Yeah, I'm like, I'm weird. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's just me. <laughs> uh, it's funny what what you said uh, a little bit before. Um, so there's this interesting quote uh, Roger Ebert said about this movie. Uh, he said. It's for those of us who use quick wit to keep the world's hurts at arm length, at arm's length. I'm like, dang, that's yeah. pretty. I think you, I think there's an, I think a lot of Hollywood screenwriters and writers in general, language becomes an armor for them. It's their, it's, you know, it's not the jock. It's, it's not the charm. It's, not their looks, but what do a lot of intellectuals have, especially liberal arts-minded ones, is they have language. And they can wield that as a weapon um, in yeah. situations to both deflect and hurt. Uh, and that's what 
Tommy especially, a lot of the characters in there here do this, but Tommy especially, um, and he's such a driving force in this. It's it it kind of you kind of chews up every scene he's in, so I can see Ebert kind of using that as a wash to describe the whole film. But uh, and so. I think you see that in a lot of uh, Hollywood movies because they're written by screenwriters, which can sometimes be nebbish, you know, kind of guys, um, especially in this era uh, when screenwriters were. And they're really good at sarcasm and using language and wit and biting remarks. Um, And so it comes across as like Tommy is this finely honed samurai sword of wit <laughs> and sarcasm and rhetoric and uh and then when you put uh downey's physical acting which is so chaplain like it's it's still like he's still very chaplain with his eyes rolling and his you know at one point he's hanging something on the patio and he's swinging left and right and he does that chaplain fall uh so he's got the language and the physicality as a character in this and it's you know he uses an Iron Man too you know um, so yeah good movie good movie I think we should probably move on to our uh, another piece of pop culture that deals with dysfunction and oftentimes family figures uh, which is Bruce Springsteen's 1982 album Nebraska simple title for uh, uh, a very heavy lyrical album. Yeah. Um, in fact, you know, this is kind of, well, this was my gateway to, to enjoying Bruce Springsteen. Uh, in, in fact, becoming uh, a big Bruce Springsteen fan was this album. I've heard, you know, some of the, the his cheesier stuff, like, you know, Born in the USA and stuff from, uh, you know, the river and, and, you know, he's got a lot of corny things. Yeah. But this album, you know, I, I remember because I had Born in the USA as a kid. I'm like, yeah, that's okay. I like Born to Run, bought Born to Run, The River. And, and I'm like, oh, I'm missing Nebraska. So I got that. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what is this? And I was I was just instantly captivated by um, just the intimacy and and the vulnerability and just the the raw emotion that this record has. I mean, it's it's easily one of the my favorite top five. Um, it's wow. it's so impressive to me how someone can convey these these thoughts and these emotions about their family and and I mean, yeah, you know, if, if you've seen. Bruce Springsteen on his Broadway show, he pretty much admits so most of his songs yeah. are BS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I made but, him up. Hey, yeah. You know, people ask me, he goes, how do you get into the American psyche? And I say, I made it up. <laughs> I'm, yeah, a, I'm a storyteller from New Jersey, baby. Yeah. I love that yeah, Broadway show. Yeah, <laughs> he's just like, and it's cold and it's raining, and I'm sitting there, and my father, <laughs> I walked into that bar, and I strut up my father, and he looked down at me. <laughs> and then he'd start, he'd get into a song with his harmonica. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's great, but yeah, he admits he's like he's I've never had a, 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 a you know defined job. I've never worked at a factory, you know, yeah. all this stuff. But he somehow, man, he can somehow 
tune into that that working class small town vibe and and just hit it i when i saw that and that that broadway um show you're talking about and he said that i love bruce so much more because i so yeah, I'll, I, so I write. I write about. I, I in my own writing. I'll, I'll write about a lot of blue collar stuff or or things yeah. like that. Um, and I, you know, I spent the first eighteen years of my life in Asia. <laughs> Asia, you know, <laughs> uh, I come from a middle class family. There wasn't this this kind of. There wasn't any kind of, you know, obvious dysfunction or um, any of this stuff. But that's the stuff that I gravitate towards, and that's the stuff that I like to pick apart, and those are the images that I like to find truth in. And there's a sense of like, oh, wait, but don't tell people that that you didn't grow up like uh, like that, or you didn't grow up going to rodeos, or you didn't grow up, you know, driving across country every, you know, few months, or that you weren't these things, you know. And uh, Bruce Springsteen does such a great job of telling that that it makes it more impressive wow. than if he actually lived it. Then he's a documentarian if he just lived right. it and he's transcribing it. But if since he's doing this, it just shows that he's a storyteller, you know? Yeah, I wasn't in the least bit disappointed when he said that. I mean, I kind of knew that because uh, I mean, where, I've read how his- could he have lived? I mean, he grew up in yeah. New Jersey and started making music at like 18. Like, when, when did you work in a coal mine, Bruce? I know, the auto factory or whatever. Yeah. But if you've never read um, his autobiography, Born to Run, friggin' phenomenal. And in the audiobook, he he narrates it. I'm, I started the audiobook. About six months ago, and I got for the first three chapters, I got distracted by something else. But because uh, I was still, you know, he's describing his home and he's like, We had that oak tree outside, and I'd spend my summer afternoons lying onto that thing. <laughs> and you'd walk down, you could see the end of the street and the white picket fences, and my mom carrying those groceries with her long legs. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> like, that's that's how that audiobook is read. And it's just, this. it's so Bruce. It takes forever to get through a chapter, because he just stretches out these words. It was a hot afternoon, boy! <laughs> <laughs> He's like a, yeah. he's like a really low key flavor flave. He's like a really <laughs> slow low key. He's like, man, it was hot, boy. Damn, man. <laughs> um, he spends a lot of time about like Jersey Shore, you know, playing mm-hmm. in like doo wop bands and rock bands and all that. But it's it's really interesting, um, just his his rise and his his the way he viewed his career going. Cause I mean, you know, I've read things, you know, and I see how I saw it, but it's interesting to sing it, how he lived it, his perception of everything was. Um, but yeah, he's, he definitely tries to, to squeeze the moments. He's a showman. Yeah. Story. He's a showman. He's a wandering bard, man. Um, so in this album in particular, I, everything you said about Bruce, about liking Bruce, but, not like enamored by Bruce until you hear this Bruce is I perfectly agreed. I like Bruce. Not, I'm not a big fan of the E street band. I like, I mean, they're 
super talented musicians. I'm just not a big fan of that big sound behind Bruce as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the, I really like the album where he does all those American standards. That might be one of my favorite Bruce where he does, you know, like Froggy Went and Corton and John Henry. And, and I think the, the band brings this kind of almost Irish, the live from Dublin album is fucking fantastic as well. Um, but I like this Bruce. And lately, Bruce has been bringing this back with Wayfarer and yeah. some of his albums, Devils and Dust, and, and things like that, in the stuff that he did for The Wrestler, uh, the Pony one. Um, but yeah, growing up, my idea of Bruce was the big E Street band. And then when you hear Nebraska, yeah. you're like, this is. This is this is just taken off of Dylan and uh, 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 mm. Hank Williams and uh, Chris, Chris 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 Christopherson, uh, and it really puts his vocals up front. It puts his lyrics up front, uh, and so let's talk about some of these tracks on here. So, what are some of the standout tracks for you on this this album? Um, gosh, uh, well, the first one was probably Mansion on the Hill, mm-hmm. and um, I like to see. Again, with with the family thing, for some reason, I I really I'm really in, enamored by small town life and mm. small, you know. Me too. Thing, for some, yeah, and, and I think this like really it, it adds to it. Um, for, I don't know why. I mean, I still hope to someday retire in a, like a small town. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Like, again, I'm gonna do my my Bruce. Uh, here's the lyrics from here. <laughs> At night, my daddy'd take me and we'd ride through the streets of a town so silent and still. Park on a back road along the highway side. Look up at that mansion on the hill. Woo! You know, like that. Like, you know, these are, he doesn't sing it like that, obviously, but anything that he puts into lyrics sounds like something. Uh, not as dark as a Southern Gothic tale. It's more like if there was Midwest Gothic, uh, which would just be, yeah. you could imagine, just a little bit lighter in tone, but still have these dark undertones. Yeah, that's a good album. Uh, you know, this whole album, getting kind of, let's let's try to kind of get to our big idea here, and I will talk before we talk about some more tracks, is in the movie... Uh, Home for the Holidays, and in this, and in what we're going to talk about, what I came up with this this week is the blue-collar nature of these holidays, like Thanksgiving, has still maintained a blue-collar sensibility to it more than other holidays. Christmas has kind of become corporatized and glamorous. Halloween is all of it. It's just bigger and bigger every year. But Thanksgiving still has held on to that kind of blue collar quality where you can celebrate the essence of it with $5 in your pocket or you can make it decadent. You can go to a Thanksgiving dinner at the Ritz Carlton and make it as decadent as you want. It's not about that. It's about Thanksgiving seems to be more about the stories and the sharing of stories with family that have happened throughout the year that you don't get with. Uh, And you feel like on an album like this, that Bruce is sharing stories. You know, you can, they seem documentary, but they're not, you know, he he makes them up, but it's, it sounds like these, this is this album where these stories are, are shared in very raw ways and in very blue collar ways. And I feel like this album really, sinks to the family idea of thanksgiving where it's about we're here 
We're going to share these stories, the good, the bad, the ugly, and uh, we it's it's all unproduced. It's all raw. The sound of the music in this album, the things we talk about, like in uh, Home for the Holidays, uh, and the ties that that bind us and how raw those can be with our family. Yeah, and, and you know, just a quick nugget of of trivia: these two, a lot like uh, Willie Nelson's Redhead Stranger, these two were demos that he handed to the record company, and he he was just like, I just want to present these songs, and he had every intention to have the E Street Band back him up, and but unlike unlike Willie Nelson, the record company said, no, no. It's good like this. Because yeah. Redhead like Stranger had already come out like a couple decades decades before, and like, oh, this yeah. works. This works. That's gotta suck to be the E Street Band. Be like, all right, Bruce, when are we <laughs> cutting that album, Bruce? Uh, well, I got some bad news for you, boys. <laughs> yeah, and, and also uh, some of this the the themes from Home for the Holiday that we Home Home for the Holidays that we mentioned um, spill into this, especially in um highway patrolman mm-hmm. where you know you have the the brother that's the that's the police officer and his brother who's kind of a uh, a two-bit criminal he's kind of a, a drunk and you get you know and and the song is all about hey i don't have to like this guy but i'm going to help him out because he's my family fact, right like one of the one of the quotes from the song is um man turns his back on his family um well he ain't no good you know, it's like, or that nothing feels better than blood on blood. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I it, think this it's... is kind of like Holly Hunter and uh, um, Robert Downey's Junior's relationship yeah. in that movie, where you could tell they are they're kind of like drinking buddies too. Yeah, they yeah. can, they can. You could tell that they can just they're allies more in this movie than they are enemies. But you can tell that in parts of their life they have been just as mean and and cruel towards each other as some of the other family members are being towards them. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, and this is funny because, you know, that whole statement of, of like, we're talking about, you know, uh, well, we don't have to like each other. We're family, but it's like, there's, you know, I don't have any siblings. Um, and I would think, I mean, I look at my own kids, I have four kids and I always tell them, I said, whatever you guys do, I don't care, but just stay together. Watch out for each other because you know, nobody, take nobody some has naked that photos of, of each other. Just, you know, like take your clothes off, snap some photos, <laughs> keep them as blackmail in case one of you tries to leave the group. You never know. You could, you're going to need those naked photos. I'll give you all a sealed envelope. I, 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 I'm sorry. I undercut your very touching uh, uh, advice to your kids there with the no, no. Child, I just, child pornography joke. I apologize. I, what's wrong with you rats? <laughs> I was just going to say, I don't, I would, you know, give anything to have that kind of bond with somebody, somebody you grew up with, who's known you your whole life. So yeah, there's something to be said, you know, we're family, you know, it, it, it's like the family you, what were you saying? The family you have instead of the family you choose. It's like, man, the family you, that you, you're born with, it's nobody will ever have that bond with you. No matter right. what, you know, no matter what, what friends or whatever you have, 
you know, you're hanging out with, it's like, man, you've got this, this bond that just can't be duplicated over here. Yeah. 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 It's, this is, you know, like the, like Bruce says it, you know, blood on blood, you know, that idea uh, of that. Uh, And then, you know, it's echoed in that, that thing with Holly uh, Hunter. She goes, you don't have to like me. We're family. Yeah. And like, it sucks because this is a really shitty argument, but we'll, we're going to have to get over it. Like, it's not like if, if, if you said that to me and we weren't related, I'd say fuck off. But like, I'm going to see you during Christmas and we're going to have to, we're going to have to squash this beef as Flavor Flav would say. Bring back the poet. I'm on a Flavor Flav kick today. (laughs) He's a poet of our times. He's a poet of my generation. Um, my uh, one of my favorite tracks, of course, and a very popular track from this album is "Last Night." Jay and I, I suggest. Does your mom have a vinyl player? Does what? Your mom have a vinyl player? My mom? Yeah. Like, did she or? Did oh, she's she still around. Is your mom still around? No. Huh? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm talking oh, about okay. child pornography, and then I'm bringing up your dead mom. <laughs> We're gonna have Thanks a real. We're gonna have. We're gonna have. We're gonna have a real home for the holidays uh, argument here. I'm like, yeah, well, maybe if you weren't a better son, she'd still be around, Jay. <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> why? <laughs> um, it, so, uh, well, this is going to suck for me then. Um, so I was thinking about what I wanted to get my parents for Christmas this year. And they they have everything they need and they're, they're actually getting rid of stuff. And so I don't want anything big. And I like to, you know, make stuff. I found this company that you can send them a playlist 20 minutes on each side and they'll press it onto its own vinyl. And then you wow. can create your own album cover and back to it. Uh, I'll send you, uh, cause I put, I, I, so I made a, a playlist 40 minutes. So it'll be on two sides I divide the sides, one for songs that remind me of my mother and one for songs that remind me of their, my father, I put like old photos of them on the cover. And then on the back under each song, I put like why it reminds them of me of them. Um, and awesome. or why it's important one and the last song because you always end it with you know the 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 real tearjerker one uh and i was like i finished this last night and then i i had built the songs on spotify first just so i can kind of hear the order and, and the pace of things um uh-huh. and the last one I, I put on my dad's was my father's house uh yeah, and no, dude and i cry a lot now in my uh, my middle approaching middle age like i'm just okay with it like i'm just like you know i'm not like crying out in public but like if a song comes on i'm like i move the tears then i'm gonna let them go you know if i'm watching oh, yeah, a movie yeah. you know on my couch i'll just sit there i'm like oh uh and I'm, <laughs> you know i i done all these playlists and so now i'm in bed listening to them like okay i gotta order this thing tomorrow is this what i want and i get to my father's house i'm just like weeping weeping what a what a heart-wrenching song about a guy who's remembering, you know, around his father's house and as a child and, and, and how scary it would be out in the woods in there. And he'd come home to his father. And even though his father and him had disagreed on things and there was a falling out that had separated them. And at the end of the song, he goes back to his father's house and someone else opens it up and says that person doesn't live here anymore. But, you know, Bruce has forgiven his father to some degree, but he, it was too late to tell him that. 
Oh God, Jay, Jesus! Like I get like goosebumps just talking about it. It's just and the way his like you said his tone of his singing and the solemnness in it and the the beauty of it and the simplicity of the backing track. Damn, that gets me, man. I know, dude. I I do the same thing sometimes, dude. Sometimes I'll even be at work and then I'll just shut off what I'm doing and I'll just listen sometimes to to songs. I'm pretty sure this was one of them. I'll do the same thing. I'll, tears will start yeah. welling, and then some jerk off will walk into my office. I'm like, "Son of a, bitch, what are you yeah. doing in here?" You're like, "Like what?" You're like, like "What?" <laughs> you're like, "You're like, you're, <laughs> you're like, Moon River." <laughs> hey, you got those TSP? God damn it, Jerry! <laughs> my mom's dead. <laughs> my mom's dead, Jerry. <laughs> it's a goddamn anniversary. <laughs> oh yeah dude it pisses me off it pisses me off to no end but anyway yeah i i know i know this song is a it's a guaranteed tearjerker yeah yeah uh but if you're if your tears are jerked and you need to put a smile on your face you can always turn to our last pop culture uh um uh place setting on the table would be the Abbott and go. Costello uh Thanksgiving Day special uh 1943 radio stand-up slash musical interlude slash kind of variety show as I guess not variety show, but uh very 1943 yeah. radio program. Um yeah. in which we have Abbott and Costello being classic Abbott and Costello. Um Playing with language, you oh here we go. We're drawing lines already. We talked about <laughs> in uh, um, Home for the Holidays uh, how uh, Siskel, uh, how Ebert, not to be confer- confused with Abbott, uh, talked about how <laughs> it's all about you know using language to cover up or or, or biting wit. Uh, Abbott and Costello, masters of language and puns and and taking something and running with it uh and you can see now it's funny listening to now because you can see their punchlines set up so far ahead of time because so much of you know comedy of the 20th century is is based off you know what these guys made so popular that kind of appellation cat skills type humor uh that they just were uh, brilliant on and it's so it had been a while since I sat down listening to Abbott and Costello. As a kid, it was always in the background. Do you remember how desperate you were for VHS tapes and how um, like expensive and luxury they seem? That if someone sent like your mom or someone in your family a VHS tape because it was like on sale and it was the stupidest thing, you they'd open it up. They're like, "Oh, my dad's like, oh, Dwarf on Golf." I'm like, "Oh shit, I'm gonna watch that." <laughs> and yeah, like, he's looking at. It, he goes, "This should be fun to watch." And I'm like, "I hope he opens it up today because I'm gonna watch it <laughs> for no other reason than it was a VHS." And so my dad would get like, you know, his family members because he's in the '70s. They'd send him like old Red Skeleton tapes or Abbott ah, and Costello tapes. Yeah. And I'm sitting there as a kid. I'm like, "That's a VHS. I'm gonna watch that." So I, you know, I'd watch Abbott and Costello and the Three Stooges and that and that uh, yeah. type of stuff. Um, so it was fun because I hadn't sat down and listened to their bits in a while. Yeah, it's funny. I did the exact same thing. Um, yeah, my mom was also huge. I mean, she had a huge VHS library. I mean, she was kind of like a like a pop culture junkie 
you know, before it even happened. Right. Not to be confused with one of those fucking librarians that we hate so much on the show. No, those no. dull ass, sappy yeah. librarians. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, so I would take, yeah, like you said, Three Stooges. In fact, um, uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Um, just all those old things when she was a kid. You know, she got on VHS. Yeah, I just watch them all. You know, yeah. whatever. You because know. you're like, that's a fucking VHS, mom. That shit's expensive. If you don't return something like that to Blockbuster, that's like 80 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, it came in like a set of 18, like at, at the Sam's Club. <laughs> Which and they're basically set up. Those videos are kind of basically set up. What which what today would be like PowerPoint slide intros and like MIDI kind of music. It'd be like Three Stooges, you know. And I'd be like bump 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 bump, you know. <laughs> and it, it, someone would just do like a random collection of them, of of them. You're like this. These are like these aren't even the same year. These are just random Three Stooges episodes. Yeah, they're just tacked together. But one of the things I wanted to kind of do with this is um, the shows like this were the kind of shows that families would all huddle together around the radio and listen to, you know, um, uh, like, you know, stuff, you know, like Thanksgiving dinner, you know, like so many other things that it seems like football, like, like football and Thanksgiving. Well, yeah, we guess we can, I'll grudgingly throw Gay! But, <laughs> but do you think that, I mean, so when you were a kid, did you spend time with your family like this? Did you guys eat together? Yes. It, it was a very Woody Allen household. We'd all gather on the radio at night. Uh, I'm like, can we turn the TV on? They're like, no. Uh, no, we had to. We had to sit around the table every night. You know, my parents, like I said, they're in their seventy. They were born in the nineteen forties, the mid nineteen forties, and so um, you know those traditions were very much carried on. And we had we had a television, but we only had one American channel, so that's what we watched. So I would watch, you know, mm-hmm. Mash with my parents because that was the only thing on. I couldn't go in my room and watch cartoons on Cartoon Network. That wasn't an option. I, it wasn't like, oh, my folks are in the living room watching the news and I'm in my room, you know, on my iPad. It was, I am guess I'm watching the news, uh, you know. Um, and then at the last, I remember the news, the best part was like there would be like two minutes of entertainment news where they talk about like a trailer coming out or something like that. I'm like this or sometimes, you know, entertainment tonight would come on. I'm like, ooh, there's something in this for me. You know, <laughs> they're talking about Goonies. Um so yeah, we had these kind of um, uh, artifacts or tent poles in our household that we would gather around, and we didn't have a fireplace or anything like that. And no one was doing like. And now I will do the daily recite reci- recitation of the poem. Uh, you know, I would love that. I, I miss even before radio days where that's what you would do: is someone would re- would read aloud to you from a a a. Uh, a piece uh but yeah uh-huh. it is it is it is a bonding experience because everyone's in their own heads but in the same space uh, yeah see and, and i think that has a lot to do with with some of the attitudes of of people i don't want to be like well, the attitudes of these kids these days but i mean does it can you see any kind of correlation between like people like you know like the characters in 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 uh, Home for the Holidays, and the fact that you know it's, it's such a separation between between kids and their parents, like the generation gap just keeps getting bigger and bigger, and bigger. 
it did, but now I think it's narrowing again. Um, but you still don't have that 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 thing that everyone does. You know, even when you go on a road trip, everybody's got their headphones and, and their iPads, right? Everybody's doing their own. Yeah, thing. I was gonna say, even for Thanksgiving, even I'm a victim of it too. Or you know, the summertime, my sister teaches in Germany, so she'll come back and stay in this my parents' house for the summer, and I will too. So it's like an extended you know, month long Thanksgiving weekend where we're all cool. It's my, <laughs> no, <okay. laughs> well, it's cool, but imagine it's, it's, it's a two bedroom house. It's got my mother, my father who are in their seventies, my sister, myself, my brother-in-law, and then a six year old and a two year old. Oh, um, that's a lot of people. And, but you know, for like, like for a holiday, you'd come over and, you have dinner together and, you know, you turn the devices off. But when the food would be cooking, you know, brother-in-law is on the iPad. I might be, you know, on my phone and the kids are, you know, playing video games or whatever it is. So everyone's on their device. We're sharing the same space, but we can tune out. We don't like, I think some of this family dysfunction that we see in this movie in 1995 uh, comes from the fact that you can't, take a break. You can't tune out. You can't be like things, you know what? Uh, it's eight to 10 hours of we're in a living room. We're staring at each other. Someone's going to break. Someone's going to get drunk and they can't just, you know, check their emails. It's going to, it's, they, they have to, it has to get out somehow. Um, and so, you're, it, but the unfortunate part about that is too, is there's no, um, you gotta take the good with the bad. You know, your your uh your uh sister or your brother may may out you about your gay wedding, like in the movie, <laughs> but you also might have a heart to heart with your father that you wouldn't have had if you were all around uh an iPad. Um yeah. and so the good comes with the bad, and that's one of the things that Home for the Holidays does. And and you know, uh, a radio program like Albert Abbott and Costello, you're still tuned out, so you're you're distracted enough to not have to have those conversations, but you're all enjoying the same thing. Yeah. You know, it's funny I, I when you were you're saying that I was reminded of the story about uh, Iggy Pop um growing up. He he grew up with his mother and father and and him living in a trailer. trailer those drum set yeah yeah and he was doing this interview um it was semi-recent and he was talking about it and he said would i change the way i grew up he said absolutely not mm -hmm. he said i had a relationship with my parents that few kids have because we shared that that little trailer he said we got to know each other the way you know, very oh, few Iggy people. Pop is definitely pulling the Claire Danes and telling his parents that he's gonna go fuck that night. <laughs> he's like, Mom, I'm 16. I've thought, I mean, Iggy Pop's all like, Mom, I'm nights. nine. Uh, I think I've thought about this a lot. I'm going to uh, gonna have sex tonight. I don't know with I'm, who or what, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm gonna have it. I'm putting on those silver pants and <laughs> watch out. <laughs> I've got stains in my silver pants. I don't know why he's British in this. My, my Bruce, my Bruce impression, I think is better than my Bob impression. So anyway, yeah. So that was that was kind of my idea of of 
throwing in this this yeah. radio show. Yeah, I um, was listening to it while I was standing in line at the post office. These we had these huge long hour lines, and I was listening to it, and it was a beautiful day outside, and the fall leaves were on there, and I was listening to Abbott and Costello, and they get to the you know they warm up a little bit, but the last you know ten minutes or so, it's all about like you know the voyage. You know, over to like the new world, and yeah. you know, there's some. Uh, th- this shit does not fly in 2020. I'm like, wow, this oh, is no this way. was like family friendly in the 1940s, and people would rip would rip this apart. There's all these oh, like yeah. sexual innuendos, uh, like it's you know the women are seen as sexual objects and all their jokes, and I'm I'm like, but if you if you listen to the laughter on this track, I don't know if it's canned laughter, but most of the laughter, yeah, I guess it would be if it's a radio program. But most of it is women laughing in there, but I guess they can plug whatever they want in. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, the humor is, is very much. I got no problem with it. Fine. I thought it was hilarious. Uh, and then they, it's funny how they go back. They just change their old routines. Uh, instead of like, who's on first? It's like, uh, how do you say hello to an Indian? And they're like, how? Like, I'm asking you. How? <laughs> yeah. You know, and you're like, oh, and like they, they're like, <laughs> they're like running this bit. But again, it's that language thing. So it was fun. It's, 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 you know, it would be fun, I think, to even in a modern day Thanksgiving to, to try something like this with your family to, to be like, hey guys, you know, um, uh, you know, I got this thing. Let's, let's all, uh, I got this. You got that Bluetooth speaker? I got this old kind of radio program. This is what they used to do in Thanksgiving. It's only 30 minutes. You guys want to sit around, like, listen to it and just, like, hey, get the little ones in here. They'll get to see what, you know, people used to live like. And let's just turn off all the stuff, light some candles if you want, you know, put some, if you want to eat some pumpkin pie while you're listening to it. Um, but, you know, kind of put that on there and see how uh, the family reacts and how long they can stay there. I know so, some of the stuff, like even about when he when he's talking about, I guess it was a secretary, and he's like, "Yeah, says what are you going to do tonight?" And and then he's like, "Oh, I'm tied up tonight." He goes, "Hey, maybe that might be more yeah. fun." <laughs> I was uh, like, mm. "Hide and seek's kind of a kids game." So what I like to do is I like to count to ten, and then uh, you go hide in the closet, and I count to <laughs> yeah. ten, and then I go hide in the closet. Well, what's so fun about that? <laughs> oh, we hide in the same closet. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, stuff like that. But it's yeah, it it made me laugh out loud a few times. Yeah. I mean, in this, you know, what would say nineteen forty three, you know, it's it's like I think they were at the height of their career at that time. Yeah, so this is like prime Abbott and Costello right here, and yeah, you know, they were the biggest thing in the country. Yep. At, at that time. Yep. Um, they kind of filled know, the void from chap that Chaplin left, you know, as he kind of descended, and uh, for uh, American humor sensibility and what that was um yeah and it kind of defines it also helped to define american comedy um twain did this probably the most um but it it was another step in separating the english language the use of english language for humor from the british um and what would become british humor and what we think of today uh and that dryness as opposed to uh, you know, the goofy, more dick and fart stuff, uh, the sillier stuff that Americans will tend to laugh at. You know, Twain does that, takes a big step in that separation from like, let's say, uh, uh, Jonathan Swift in, you know, Great Britain or in, uh, you know, uh, and then Twain in the States. And then you have 
uh, Abbott and Costello, you know, going in more with that use of the English language in a much more silly way as opposed to a biting like a sharp, sarcastic like a yeah, 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 yeah way um, and Martin and Lewis probably even yeah, more yeah 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 <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah that's, that's interesting I never thought about it like that before I just did too man this is the problem you have a couple of beers and you podcast for an hour and a half sometimes you stumble across some brilliant ideas that are probably full of shit <laughs> speaking of ideas that are, are 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 probably full of shit thanks for listening to another episode of the pop bonsai podcast we hope you've enjoyed surfing this pop wave with us this week even though it was a little bit dysfunctional i think we got through it i think there was only a few tears um no one threw any plates it was excellent are we <laughs> we talked about what we want to do for next episode are we confident enough that we can kind of give our our main course out now Jay, you know I, what, I, I feel like the momentous building our, i i just kind of want to throw it out there all right all right, uh, all you T-birds and pink ladies out there <laughs> who for the entire run of our, what, six or seven episodes, you're probably like, wow, this is amazing. When are they going to do Greece? Well, all you drivers and moto drivers, next episode is the episode. We're going to be doing a Greece episode where we're going to be watching Greece, re-watching Greece, um, which I haven't seen, oh, in probably 15 years, but had probably oh, really? seen wow. about 1,500 times before <laughs> that. So, uh, and we're going to tell like our, I, I've got some Greece stories and and um, a lot to say about Greece, I think. Uh, and then uh, with that, uh, reminiscing about that stuff, you know, we're big fans of punk rock music and ska music and a uh, punk band that I think you like, a ska band that you like, right? It's I mean, it's sure. kind of pretty down yeah. down the road there. Less Than Jake did a, a cover album in the 90s of, of Grease songs. So we can talk about the movie Grease, which will probably fill a lot of time. But to get more Grease, we can talk about the music of Grease and the songs that we like through Less Than Jake's album, Greased. Uh, and then we'll probably throw a third thing in there because we like to do things in three, but we will keep that one a secret for now. Mm. Not because we don't know what it is, because we are on top of our shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, I am Travis, and across from me is Jay, and we will see you next Pop Wave. Banzai!